Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Do you remember the last time you went to a concert or a play? A lot of us, myself included, have really missed those performances during the pandemic. There's nothing quite like experiencing a live show. But the fact is, buying a ticket for a performance or a museum a few weeks away is kind of a leap of faith these days. Many places in the country have seen public health restrictions limit capacity or even completely shut down for long stretches of time. On Monday, Ontario theatres and venues opened again after being closed for weeks because of the spread of the Omicron variant. And a lot of people are wondering, will the art scene ever recover from COVID-19? One fear, I think, of the pandemic and the arts is that there will be a lost generation because there will be a generation who looked at it and said, this is, this is too risky, this, there isn't anything here. Kate Taylor is a cultural columnist and visual art critic for The Globe. She'll paint us a picture of what's been lost during these past two years, but also how art might remember the pandemic. This is The Decibel. Kate, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Great to be here. So you've been covering arts for the globe for about 30 years now, actually. How different have things been during this this period of the pandemic? Well, it's unprecedented. I mean, in all the years I've worked uh, in the art section of the globe, uh, we've never had closures like this, obviously. I mean, museums have closed from time to time to do renovations, and that's considered really risky. I mean, it's much discussed when they do those big building projects and close for like six months or a year, because there's always the risk your audience won't come back when you reopen. You know, occasionally what a small theater company goes broke or something and doesn't exist anymore. But the notion that all of a sudden, you know, theaters, museums, concert halls are all closed. It's just, yeah, I've never seen it before. Can you remind us, I guess, just high level here, what the restrictions are on arts institutions uh, and, and performing arts venues in Canada right now? I know it's different from place to place, but maybe just an overview here. Yeah, it varies from province to province. Um, the toughest restrictions have been in um, Ontario and Quebec right now. Both Ontario and Quebec closed all live performance spaces and cinemas as well, movie theaters. And they're now, of course, going to reopen in Ontario. The other provinces just imposed capacity limits of most of them of 50%. And that's what Ontario is shifting now back to is capacity limits. I have to say capacity limits, by the way, are very awkward for um, anyone in the performing arts and in the movie theater business, because the live performance spaces anyway are are budgeted on at least a 70% house. Like you need at least three quarters of your house fill, usually more like 80% before you start to make money. Relative to other sectors and other industries, how much of an impact has the pandemic had on the arts industry specifically then? Um, The performing arts, if you separate out the performing arts as a sector, they've been devastated by it. And from point of view of StatsCan, they have this one group of businesses or companies that are people who sell tickets, basically, events to which you buy a ticket. So the category includes sports. Um, And it would include commercial entertainments, too, like it would include the aquarium and things like that. That group was the most impacted by the pandemic after the airlines. So, you know, the airlines, it was like 80 percent loss of their economic activity. And the next group was about 60 percent loss. And that would include all the um, the theaters. And can you just, I guess, really, really spell it out for us here? So is it 
restrictions in particular that really impacted the the live performing arts sector, or are there other factors as well that really hurt this industry? Well, it's, I mean, obviously it's the closures. I mean, that's what devastated them in the first place. And the first year was just all about the closures, right? The other thing I, I would mention too, is that something the performing arts industries, I think, have found very, very difficult is the kind of erratic nature of the restrictions. You know, in the most recent restrictions imposed in Ontario, which came down in late December, you can't go to a theater, but you can go to a church. And a lot of people find that kind of insulting. It's like, well, you're making value judgments here. It's not really about safety. You're making value judgments on what's important to society. Um, You know, similarly, in Ontario, they closed museums this time around. In Quebec, they didn't. And there's no indication. I mean, museums, you've got lots of space. You start asking for proof of vaccination at the door. It seems a fairly safe activity. So, you know, you can go to a hair salon, but you can't go to a museum. Like, it doesn't make much sense. So it's those sort of discrepancies that I guess um, really wore people down. Kate, I want to ask you about live music as well. How much has, I guess, this particular part of the industry suffered during the pandemic? You know, live music uh, covers a range of events, right? It's like, you know, the Toronto Symphony, there's a big institution there to support the musicians on an ongoing basis. So they did things like the musicians took pay cuts, but they did, they had payroll subsidy. Most of the big institutions have used the federal payroll subsidy to keep going. They have fundraising potential, right? But if you're a commercial operator running a music venue, you know, sort of bar music venue, you, you don't really have those resources. And so it's been really difficult for that sector. And and music was, I mean, even before the pandemic, right, music was hurting because it's very difficult now for musicians to make any kind of money off their recordings. You get some money for streams, but it's not significant. And so musicians rely on their income from performance uh, to live. The government did, of course, offer financial assistance during the pandemic. What was available for artists uh, and for institutions? If you were an individual, you could get CERB. And then there are all sorts of programs. The federal government is just in the process of launching a $60 million fund for helping the performing arts come back. There are these programs at the Canada Council. There are a lot of programs to help artists go digital. So there's a lot of stuff out there. One thing I notice is the money, the restrictions come from the provinces, but the money comes from the feds. So that the two things don't often always dovetail. And, you know, there is a point where you can't make a career living on a subsistence check, but not being able to do your art. Have you talked to any musicians, I guess, in particular who have told you the difficulties that they've had to face as a result of this? When we hit the one year mark, we started really kind of surveying people and saying, what are you doing? So this is not a, obviously at that point, it was not a passing fad. And I talked to Ashley McIsaac, the um, the, uh, the fiddler, fiddler. Yeah. Uh, yeah, who lives now in Windsor, Ontario. Um, and he said he was on the verge of bankruptcy, basically. I mean, he was selling violins to get by. Wow. And he had an entire year of concerts just wiped out. Um, another person we've talked to during the pandemic is Chris Ludecki, who performs as Old Man Ludecki in Nova Scotia. And he was back performing this last fall. But the year before that, the, the first year of the pandemic, he gave up and he had a neighbor who was um, a fisherman and they went out harvesting scallops. He was working on a boat harvesting scallops. Let's talk a little bit about uh, musical theater. And I specifically want to talk about the musical Come From Away, uh, which happens to be my favorite musical of all time. Uh, But I think this show really kind of illustrates the difficulties for this industry, because despite Come From Away being wildly successful, the Toronto run of the show permanently closed in December, uh, which broke my heart and caught a lot of people by surprise. 
Why did it have to close? So Come From Away, of course, has been this huge success, right? It's the story of how um, the people of Gander rose up uh, to help passengers, airline passengers who were stranded after the events of 9-11. It's a heartwarming Canadian story, both the musical itself, the story it tells, and, of course, the story of the success of the musical, um, which, you know, started here in Canada and went down to Broadway. And um, the main reason it had to close was there were COVID cases in the cast, and this has happened to live productions across the country when Omicron hit. But I think then the larger decision was that once they had closed, it made no financial sense for the producer, Mervish Productions, to reopen. And that goes back to what I was speaking about earlier about the capacity limits. So you're not making money. So if you have a 50% house, you, you wind up in a situation where you're losing money on every show. And then you've got to say, okay, well, what's it going to cost me to get a cast back up and working again? And the producer on Mervish Productions unfortunately just concluded this was not, this just wasn't feasible to get this up and going again. Hmm. And, you know, it's really sad, but he's running a business. You can't ask him, you know, to lose money every week, kind of. And, And with no, I guess for him, there was no end in sight. If a show as successful has come from away, um, or a musician as successful as Ashley McIsaac, if that can close, that can shut down, what does that mean for other smaller productions and artists? I think it's kind of an iceberg thing, right? It's like, oh, things sort of look okay because, you know, the National Ballet still exists, the Tarragon Theater still exists or whatever. But underneath that, you have all sorts of people who have changed careers, given up careers, And one fear, I think, of the pandemic and the arts is that there will be a lost generation because there will be a generation who looked at and said, this is this is too risky. This there isn't anything here. And that especially now it's two years, right, that there'll be this period where a whole bunch of people didn't choose the arts and you'll lose whatever it is they would have created. And that's very hard to define and know, you know. What about the audience? Do you think people are are ready to go back to in-person performances when when things finally reopen again? Yeah, there's fairly strong evidence that once um, vaccines came into the picture, audiences took that in their stride and started to think that, yes, they could safely go back. And the most heartwarming story I heard on that score is the National Ballet story, which you know, had to shut down after less than half the run of the Nutcracker. But prior to that, they'd been almost selling out on tickets. So that was very heartening. Um, Film and television production has kept going strongly. The big question in that industry is whether people will come back to cinemas. Because obviously, the at-home experience was beginning to replace um, the movie theater experience already before the pandemic hit. And there's a strong sense that has been accelerated. We've obviously got lots of things on our mind during the pandemic, but what do we lose as individuals and and as a collective society as well when we can't experience art in in these ways that we're used to? Yeah, it's a very, um, it's one of these things that it's kind of undefinable, but it's very important. And one thing I've certainly felt as someone, you know, who has been engaged in the arts very actively all my life, that at first you kind of, oh yeah, you know, I can, do without going to the theater for a year. I can do without going to a museum this month or whatever. But I certainly found when things came back that you had this, I mean, I right now I'm on the visual arts beat. So going to museums is sort of central part of what my work is. And 
I found when I went back, I was like, oh, oh, you know, it just felt so good to be back inside these sort of contemplative spaces and to to be with art in that way. And then there's this social thing. And I mean, I especially think for for younger people where live music is often a very, very important part of their lives. If every weekend you are going to listen to a band in a club with friends and you just haven't had that for two years, it's like there's this social thing. Um, and the music is part of that. And music is a way we express emotion. There's a lot in the arts of people um, working through things in a safe space. I mean, it's why often plays, you know, new plays are about very, very controversial subjects, you know, or very sort of top of mind subjects. Mm-hmm. And yet when I talk to students about the arts, I always show a slide of cave paintings just to try and point out that, you know, the arts, in that case, making imagery is so absolutely fundamental to humans um, and that people in the most, you know, basic kind of conditions reach out to these forms of expression, whether that's, you know, music or visual art or um, or storytelling. Do you think there will be lasting impacts of this period on the performing arts going forward in, in ways that we're going to see in the, in the coming years then? You know, if you're looking for silver linings, I mean, another possibility, of course, is that it will create very interesting art because we've all been reminded of our own mortality. And I mean, it'll be interesting to see how how the pandemic plays out, say, in the next, you know, decades as something that's marked society and how artists react to the way it marked society. I mean, if you look at the the Roaring Twenties, you know, the Roaring Twenties were clearly a reaction in some ways to the First World War, right? It was like, the war's over, let's have a big party. But one thing that I've learned just because we're having a pandemic is, oh, it must have also been a reaction to the Spanish flu pandemic mm-hmm. because we know very little about that flu pandemic. I mean, I thought it had been about a year. I've only just learned it lasted two years. I had really read very little, heard very little about it, whereas I knew lots about the First World War, and there's a lot of art about the First World War. And you realize, oh, they'd gone through a war, and they didn't talk about the pandemic. They kind of suppressed that. And instead, there's a kind of, there's almost this sort of desperation to the culture of the 1920s, a sort of, you know, it's like, party till you drop, the cocktail, uh, you know, the jazz age, all that. There was this sort of freneticism to it. And I I wonder now, looking at it from point of view of our pandemic, I think, oh, maybe that's because there had been this this double whammy. There'd been the war, the First World War, and then there'd been the flu pandemic. And that and there was a kind of sense of, um, we're not going to talk about that anymore. We're just going to have a party. So I would expect we will talk about it, but it'll be very interesting to see how that expresses itself in art in decades to come. Kate, thank you so much. I'm really glad we talked about this. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovic is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.